This talk by John Sutherland called Relaxing into Retreat is the first of four talks given at the Desert Rain Retreat given on February 28, 2012 in Tucson, Arizona. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. Good evening. It's a, a pleasure to be here, and I first wanted to thank um, Desert Rain Zen Group for hosting us. Um, and it's great to have um, people from most of our communities here to the, the gathering of the tribe from all over um, because this retreat culminates in a most um, auspicious and um, calamitous event, which is Tenny's becoming a teacher. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm particularly happy to have uh, here tonight Andrew Palmer, who had this auspicious and calamitous event fall on his head just a little over a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, so yeah. great to have you. Um, as, a, as an example of someone who's still standing a year later, that's good. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Um, and thanks to all of you for all the work you've done. Um, as, as you can tell, we've had to do some um, dipping and diving and flowing and bending with, um, with the conditions here and may have to go on doing that for a while longer. Um, and all of it is sort of in aid of um, people, pe- maintaining people's health and maintaining people in a good, a good place to, to do good practice. So um, if you will be so kind as to bend and dip and flow and adjust with us as we go, and that uh, I think it's important we hold all of this not as some kind of aberration from the re- retreat or problem we're having in the retreat, but this is the retreat. This is, this is our retreat this time together in this place, in this company, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. So um, it, some of the, the shapes it takes and the, or the timing of things may be a little bit different, and that's just the nature of this retreat, and that's grand, okay? <coughs> Um, I, I want to sprinkle what I'm going to talk about tonight with some words of a poet named Santoka, who's a late 19th and 20th century Japanese itinerant monk and um, haiku poet, who's sort of the perfect um, patron saint for, for this particular retreat. He, he walked all the time. He, did, he was like Basho in that. He, he walked and walked and walked and um, made his money by doing takahatsu, by, by begging every day, and usually got just enough um, food and money to last him for the day. So it was, a, it was a life lived very close to the bone and involved a lot of sake, which made it more difficult and more tumultuous for him. Um, so he he has a lot of stories about um, not having enough money for an inn that night, you know, or um, having to sell his um, flea bitten single cotton blankets for food and that kind of thing. So he's a good um, he's a good patron saint of of uh, interesting events <laughs> and unexpected cold weather and things like that. Um, so that makes it all the the funnier because. When, when we showed up at the airport in Albuquerque this morning, the ticket agent said something that I'm sure you've all heard, which, which I've heard so many times. Oh, you're going to a retreat. Have fun. <laughs> 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 oh, 
or how relaxing. <laughs> and um, we sort of chuckled to ourselves and said, thank you very much. But you know, that, is, that is kind of the view. And what I wanted to suggest that, yes, there is a kind of relaxation that happens in this retreat, but it's not like a spa, you know. It's, we're not going to go home with um, pedicures and loosened lower back muscles, although maybe we will with the yoga, I don't know. But um, anyway, it's a, there's, a, there's a different kind of relaxation. There's a relaxation of the habits of the heart-mind, um, a relaxation of the habitual body, our habitual ways of doing things, and that out of that relaxation can come something that makes a, um, a pedicure look like pretty small change, actually. And um, this, was, this was described 1,300 years ago by one of the originators of the kind of Chan and Zen that we still practice 1,300 years later, uh, Shito Shitian, who wrote the Taking Part in the Gathering that you may well read as part of the afternoon readings this week. And um, he said he described this relaxation in a poem called Song of the Grass Hut. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk. Innocent. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk. Innocent. So that's my suggestion for this retreat. To let things go, to relax, to open your hands, and to find, to discover what it means to walk. Innocent. This kind of relaxation isn't laziness or indulgence or indolence or anything like that. Um, And I want to suggest some of the things it might be. This kind of relaxation that Shuto was talking about is really a way of sinking in so that we can feel the way the whole world, the whole earth, everything um, in the great field in which we live supporting us as we sink into our cushion or we walk this beautiful land, this Sonoran Desert, which is so beautiful, or when we lie down to sleep, whatever we're doing, the whole earth supports us. The whole earth holds us up. And so we relax into the feeling of that, the felt sense that we are indeed supported and held like that. So... Santoka um, quoted Fayan in his journal. Fayan is the Chinese teacher who said that beautiful, um, you know, talking about the great breeze that rises up, the, the fresh breeze that rises up when the great burden is laid down. Um, and, and, and another place, he talked about how each step is an arrival. And that's that sense of relaxing into feeling supported every time we step every time we breathe, every time we turn over in our sleep, everything we do is an arrival over and over and over again at that deep home that is at the bottom of relaxation. Um, Another thing that this relaxation is, and this is maybe one of the the most um, strenuous aspects of the relaxation, is that for a while, for a few days, we agree to not be riled by what usually riles us. 
that's hard work, but it's really good work. So we relax underneath all of the things that usually push our buttons or get us going or, or um, bother us or tweak us, however, however we think about it. We just decide we will not be riled by those things that usually do. So um, Santoka wrote, The mountain becomes dark. I listen to its voice. That simple. The mountain becomes dark. I listen to its voice. Whatever happens, even when things um, darken, when things sometimes become difficult or cold or whatever it is, we just listen to the voice and see what happens when we do. That listening enables us to hear all the small voices in the world around us and inside ourselves that sometimes we're too... um, Gabby and Yaki to be paying attention to. You know, there's too much else going on and we can't really hear them. So when we listen um, in that way, one of the things we can hear is the way that everything is resting around us. In the way, the candle, the light, something. I don't know, Tenny, you've got some big medicine around this game <laughs> becoming a teacher. <laughs> I hope we all survive the week to see this. I was just resting. Yeah. I decided to rest even more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so 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 that that sense that when we relax, um, we can hear everything, the voice of everything that is the resting, relaxed voice of all things around us. And that, that in doing that, when we meet everything else in that, inside that relaxation. We meet there. And the kind of conversation that happens there is different than the conversation that happens when things are very bumpy and skittery and on, on the surface of things. So um, Santoka wrote a, a haiku. After all, it's sad to be alone, the withered grasses. That's one kind of meeting in a relaxation that has a quality of sadness. And then the very next haiku he wrote is, after all, it's good to be alone, the wild grasses. <laughs> all of it true, you know, all of it true. One moment to the next, one day to the next, one lifetime to the next. So this, um, this, this kind of relaxation and innocence that we're talking about is a really profound state. Uh, It's not something naive or simple, although it is those things, but it's not not only those things. Um, And when we are innocent in this way, we allow everything to be blameless. Um, Sung San, another of the great Chinese teachers, said that incredible thing, when my mind doesn't arise, all things are blameless. And he was talking about when my habitual turns of the heart-mind, when my habitual ways of reacting don't arise. All things are blameless. And when we can bring this kind of innocence in our meeting with the things of the world and the events of the day, um, we allow them to be the blameless that they are. And we meet them innocent to blameless. And they meet us 
innocent to blameless. And that's important to remember, too, that we make, we allow ourselves also to be blameless in that, in that kind of meeting. Um, so when we do lay down the great burden and we're paying attention with an open heart-mind, um, there's something unafraid, non-judgmental, and warmly curious about the world that happens. That's this innocent innocence, unafraid, non-judgmental, and warmly curious about things. Um, Santoka said at another point, I walk in the wind's brightness and darkness. Whatever the wind does, be it bright or dark, I walk there. So um, often when we come to a retreat, we come with a question that we think we'd like to work on, um, a sense that we'll have a lot of time and space to attend to something. We'll have the opportunity in, in our meditation to, um, to see things in a different way, to consider them in a different way, that, that when we bring them into our meditation, um, that's different than thinking about them as we're driving in the car um, in, in the morning on the way to work. And I, and I think that that's, that's a fine thing and a natural thing, and we want to bring all of us to, um, into the retreat, not leave anything out, including whatever our, our questions are. Um, and I just I wanted to, um, to make some suggestions about how we can... Um, work with a question on, a re- on the retreat, which might be a bit different than we imagined. How do we take up questions in a way that um, go with how a retreat is, rather than um, allowing a question to withdraw us from the retreat? You know that feeling when you sit with a question a lot, and you're not really here. You're, you're with the question somewhere else, and you're kind of going around and around over it. My suggestion is you don't have to give up the question, but maybe there's a different kind of relationship to have that you can only have in retreat. So how can you how can you ride the particular circumstances that happen during the retreat that are quite rare, and how can you hold that question as you ride it? Um, so so how do we fully make use of the special circumstances of it? Um, first of all, there's this opportunity where we don't have to do the things we usually do. We're going to get fed. We're going to have a place to sleep. We're going to have something to do all day. <laughs> and we don't have to make any decisions about that at all. All those decisions have already been made. So all we have to do is, is, is show up for it. Um, we have this, this extraordinary container or field, depending on the metaphor of your choice, that, that happens. Um, the, the bells that Michael was talking about will tell you what time it is so you don't have to worry about what time it is. You don't have to think about it. You can imagine time in a completely different way since um, Michael's bells will get you here and get you gone when you need to. That means time can become something completely different and the answer to the question, what time is it, is no longer 7.30. It's something else entirely. And one of the things we can do in a retreat is explore over and over again, what time is it now? What time is it now? In that deeper, longer arc, walking on the earth kind of way. 
Um, so all of the small questions are answered by the form. Just do the form. It, it's not a big deal. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You can just allow um, every question, every small question about what do I do now and how I do it to be answered by these, um, these ancient forms we step into. Um, and how wonderful that the constant decisions we have to make all the time, which become a habit of self-creation, are not necessary. Coffee or tea, you know, nap or run, um, sleep now or sleep later, this movie or that movie, chocolate or vanilla, whatever it is, I mean, these, the endless decisions that we make are, are quite wonderful, and they're also endlessly self-creating. They're endlessly reinforcing the idea that there's someone who's choosing. So one of the beauties of the fasting that Tenny talked about that we do in a retreat is that we're not constantly in this mode of these self-creating decisions all the time. We just do whatever the next thing is, whatever the next thing to do is, and, um, and allow the self to get um, relaxed as well. Allow the self to feel the true contours of its relationship with the world and with other things instead of um, the, the, the endless kind of thoughts and decisions and judgments that keep us separated from the rest of the world and from other things. We have the opportunity of this silence. Um, and the silence is not only a lack of distraction, although it certainly is that, and that's really important. Um, it's not just that we're distracting ourselves or distracting other people, but when we are silent, we can hear the silence of the world, and we can experience that way in which the silence we are keeping inside ourselves is continuous with the silence of the world. And we relax into that. Silence meets silence. Silence becomes one continuous thing. We relax into that silence. And that, in the kinds of lives that most of us lead, is a really rare and precious opportunity. There's something about connecting with that silence, becoming one with that silence, and falling through it all the way to the bottom of things and then through the bottom of the bottom and keeping going. The silence is the royal road to that um, free fall into the place where the silence roars. Um, and when, when we're silent, when we have that meeting with the silence of the world, Another, another thing that we're withdrawing from is that um, sense of a self always asserting itself in the landscape, in the environment. We aren't the self asserting, I want this, I want that, let's talk about this, I'm thinking about that. All of that can fall away, that assertion can fall away. And what is left when we're not constantly asserting ourselves as against the landscape, you know, in the environment? That seems like a rich exploration. Um, as we know, when we, when we sit, we're sitting in a long tradition and we're sitting with everyone else who's ever sat. Every time we take 
these postures and the reason that we sit a certain way and the altar is a certain way and we use um, incense and chants and all of that kind of thing is really because it's a way of connecting us with that ancestral stream. It's a way of our doing what people have been doing for a very, very long time and relaxing into that and allowing that to hold us up in the same way that we allow the world to hold us up. Um, to use the language of a koan we've been looking at in the in the koan salon lately, it's um, it's as though we're um, we're slipping into an ancient groove, which is um, a way a couple of the koans have expressed it lately, and I love that. All you have to do is find the groove. You remember that from your youth? <laughs> Just find the groove. Slip into that. Slip into that ancient groove, and. Um, and let it carry you. Um, and another way to think about it is that there is this long, long pilgrimage that we are um, taking our place in, but it's a pilgrimage already in progress. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to start from scratch. It's going right by outside, and all we have to do is step into it and take our place inside it. And in the same way that the the ancestors accompany us, um, we accompany each other, uh, those of us on this retreat, and we help make the path in our walking on that pilgrimage together. Um, and we one of the one of the things I find most extraordinary about a retreat is how we all agree to support and sustain each other's practice with no sense of transaction. We don't do this because, we just do this. And um, here we are offering the deepest kind of support for the deepest kind of work without any sense that there is a transaction, there is a quid pro quo. We just do it because we do it, and we know that everybody else will be doing that on our behalf as well. And what a great thing that is to experience for five days in a row. And of course, there are all the the other companions um, of this landscape, this this incredible sky tonight. The goat outside. <laughs> Make sure you say hello to the goat. <laughs> so all of this together, um, Santoka said, all together, we pick the persimmons, we eat the persimmons. Um, because because we deliberately limit the field, we deliberately limit the input, um, we lower sensory perception, we lower distraction, um, we don't listen to the podcast or turn the radio on or check our email or do any of that kind of stuff. Um, one of the results of that is that sometimes small difficulties can loom kind of large just because there's so much that's fallen away and they can... Um, they can take a lot of a lot of um, space in in the field, um, and we can sometimes in a retreat we can ex- obsess on small slights or frustrations or aversions or a sense of our failure at one thing or another. And the trick really is to include all of that, not to turn it away, but um, also not to let them constrict our experience here. How can they be? part of what's happening but not entirely what's happening so that they don't pull us 
out of the experience of, of being here. Um, and so one of the things that you might ask yourself is if you notice yourself getting caught in a sense of aversion or failure or frustration or, or dissatisfaction, um, think about this. When you're sitting, this is one of the most intimate relationships you have in your life, and no one is looking. So here you are in this place where no one is looking. What are you doing? What are you doing there? Are you fighting? You know, are you fleeing? Are you um, um, in some way dissatisfied with what's going on? Or are you taking the, um, the opportunity to really find that, that tree older than the forest it stands in and lean against that? The opportunity to take a walk on the empty sky? But if you find yourself in a kind of um, conflicted place in your own meditation, explore this question here where no one is looking. This is what I'm choosing to do. What's up with that? You know, what are the other possibilities that I could be doing here in this place? Santoka said, um, my begging bowl accepts the falling leaves. So, um, I just, I want to invite everybody here this week to um, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely, to open our hands and to walk innocent together. And to begin doing that right here, right now, tonight, and to continue doing it all through the week. And if you find yourself in difficulty, ask yourself, what would it be like right now if I opened my hands? What would it be like right now if I were innocent in this situation? What would it be like if I allowed things to be blameless. Have a wonderful week. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at JoanSutherlandDharmaWorks.org